0: Hello, and welcome to the Beef Cattle Health and Nutrition Podcast, Episode 13. I'm your host, Dr. John Campbell. This week, my guest is Dr. Jennifer Pearson. Dr. Pearson is an assistant professor in bovine health management at the University of Calgary School of Veterinary Medicine. Her research focuses on cow-calf health and reproductive management, and she's worked extensively on the impacts of difficult calving on the health and performance of beef calves. Today, she has lots of practical advice on how to deal with difficult calvings. Let's get started. Hi, Jennifer. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here.
1: Thanks, John. Thanks for having me.
0: So before we get into our topic for today, maybe I'll ask you to introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us a little bit about your background and what you're doing at the University of Calgary these days.
1: Yeah, so I am actually originally from the United States. So I got my veterinary degree at Oregon State University um, and then after after graduating there, I actually went to Cornell University and did an internship and residency in ambulatory medicine. So that's like large animal um, medicine and practice, as well as because I've always had a strong interest in reproduction, I was able to get enough caseload and, and supervision that I was able to become board certified as a theriogenologist, which is an animal reproduction specialist there. After that, I decided to come up to Canada and do my PhD here under the supervision of Dr. Claire Windier and Ed Pager. And my PhD looked at um, the impacts of calving assistance on calves and management practices we can do to sort of mitigate these, these negative impacts that these calves might experience. After that, um, I stayed on and became an assistant professor here at the University of Calgary. And so my job, I get to do lots of different things. I teach veterinary students. So I teach in the curriculum, bovine medicine and surgery and reproduction, as well as I have graduate students that I do research with. And so my research um, spans both looking at cow and calf health, especially around that calving time period. As well as I've gotten into investigating um, bull fertility and bull health because we, we all know that bulls need to be healthy and fertile in order to develop those calves that are born the next calving season.
0: Thank you. I think we'll probably have you back on the podcast someday to talk about the bull side of things. <laughs> but today our topic is going to be dystocia or assisted calvings. Uh, so dystocia is kind of a fancy word, but what does it mean when we use that term?
1: Yeah, so, so dystocia is sort of the medical term for a difficult calving, and, and it's defined as a prolonged or difficult calving. Now, the funny thing about that is that if we think about these prolonged or difficult calvings, many of them are assisted. So producers will make the decision to assist these calves because it's prolonged or they can tell that the, the cow is having some difficulty, but not all of them are are assisted. And that's when sometimes we'll go out into our calving pastures and we'll see a cow has given birth to a calf, but maybe that calf is a little bit weak and isn't able to get up and and isn't as vigorous as normal. And so that calf could have experienced a difficult calving, so a dystocia, but it wasn't assisted. And the other way to think about this too is that many producers decide to make the management decision, especially if we think about backwards calves, to go ahead and assist those calves. They can be born on their own without a dystocia, but many of them we know have an increased risk of having negative effects from being born backwards. And so producers decide to intervene and assist that calving to make sure that that calf has has a good start to its life. So I like to use the term calving assistance. It's, It's a term where we know what happened during that birth process of that calf and we can record that and look at our records going forward.
0: That's a good point. And, and sometimes there's assisted calvings because I want to go to bed or yeah. <laughs> I have to get to curling or something like that as well. So uh, we get those that are not really dystocias, but we want to make sure that calf comes out before we go off to do something else. Exactly. Maybe we should step back for a second and define what a normal calving should look like. So many of our listeners will have seen many normal calvings, but let's, let's just talk about that process and what it should look like normally.
1: Yeah. So a normal calving, it actually happens in three different stages. So the first stage, stage one of calving, um, is where that calf is is in position, but that cow needs to dilate her cervix and and get ready to be able to push that calf out. So generally speaking, this can last quite quite a bit of time. It can last anywhere from eight to 12 hours. We don't always see a cow in the stage one of, of calving, but if we do see her, oftentimes she may be restless. She may be standing up, laying down. We may see those ligaments along her tail head that look like they have softened or are quite loose. Um, and she may start to have some uterine contractions at that time. And what that's doing is it's getting that calf into position, so it's putting pressure up against her cervix to help dilate it. So once her birth canal is dilated enough, the calf then can exit without any issues. So that's sort of the stage one. Stage two is where most producers recognize of calving starting. And this is where her cervix is fully dilated, that birth canal is dilated, that calf is ready to come out. And so she's usually going to lay down at this point, start to have good uterine and abdominal contractions to help push that calf out. And this can last usually about an hour. So there's some research to show that once we see either feet or a water bag, on average, it takes them about an hour to push that calf out. It can sometimes come a little bit sooner and a little bit after, but usually it's about an hour to do that. And that stage two ends with the calf being delivered and, and being on the ground. And then the last stage that we generally don't think about, but it's an important part of the calving process is for her to expel that placenta or that afterbirth. And so that can happen anywhere normally between 12 and 24 hours after calving. And she's going to have those, those uterine contractions again, and it's going to expel that placenta um, so that that doesn't lead to any sort of infections or other issues.
0: For the timing of those stages, is it true that it's usually a little shorter in cows than it is in heifers? Heifers take longer to go through stage one and stage two than cows do.
1: It can, it can be, although I have seen plenty of heifers that have, as long as they're dilated and they're of an appropriate frame size and, and the calf is an appropriate size to their frame, they shouldn't have any difficulties and should be able to push that calf out in the same amount of time that, that a cow should.
0: So what signs should we be looking for as producers who are monitoring calving situations to identify those animals that need assistance?
1: yeah so the big ones are going to be time and progression for me and so usually if i am going around and looking in the calving pen or pasture and and trying to identify animals as to sort of when they start that stage two of calving if i see feet or a water bag i'm expecting that cow or heifer to make progress every 30 to 60 minutes so it doesn't necessarily mean that the whole calf will be born within that time period but she needs to make progress so if i see a water bag The next time I come back and check her within that time period, I need to see feet. Or if I see feet, next time I come back, I need to see a muzzle or a head. So she needs to be making progress. If she's not making progress, then something something is delaying that calf from being born, whether it's a size issue or maybe that calf is malpositioned, maybe there's a head back or a leg back, and we need to investigate to make sure that there aren't any complications or obstructions to the birth canal to make sure that that calf can be delivered in a timely fashion. If that calf gets prolonged and delayed too long, what can happen is that their umbilicus can be pinched off and they're not receiving oxygen from the cow anymore, which means that they can be born oxygen deprived, which can lead to a lot of issues.
0: How commonly do we see dystocias in beef cattle herds, Jennifer? I know that you've done quite a bit of research on that in your PhD uh, and that, we've seen a drop in the number over the last 30 years from when I graduated. What, what's it at now?
1: Yeah, so we've got some recent publications to look at this. And I have to say the beef industry is doing a pretty good job here compared to some of the other industries. But on average, you know, overall looking at herds across Western Canada, we have an incidence of about five to nine percent of cows or calves are going to need assistance during a calving season. Now there's a huge range to that. I would say probably the majority of herds are assisting very few calves. And then we have less herds that are assisting more than that. And we do know that there is a difference between heifers and cows. So generally speaking, heifers are gonna have an assistance risk of anywhere from 13 to 15%, whereas cows it's much lower. It's around that two to 5% of cows will need assistance. But I think the interesting thing about that is is that, you know, we we run into herds that have very, very few assistants, um, herds that might have a few more or those that, you know, for some reason selected the wrong bull and and end up having having a wreck. And so we can we can have some variability in there. The interesting thing to think about, though, is that the majority of herds, so over 90 percent of herds in Western Canada are assisting at least one calf every calving season. So even though they may not assist that many, it's still something we need to be thinking about and prepared for because those calves, as we'll talk about a little bit later, do have some negative health um, effects from from being assisted or having a prolonged birth.
0: Well, that leads us to the next question. And what are those downstream potential consequences and complications of a dystocia? Why is it so important to minimize them? What can happen uh, as a result of that calf having a difficult birth?
1: Yeah. So I say one of the worst um, case scenarios is where we actually have loss of the calf. So the calf is either born dead, a stillbirth, or it dies within that short time period after being born. So technically a, a stillborn by definition is either a calf that's born dead or dies within that 24 hour period after being born. And that's a huge loss, right? You just spent nine months trying to get this cow to be pregnant and to have a, a nice healthy calf and then to lose it that early on is, is a huge financial loss to producers. Um, the other things that can happen is, as I sort of alluded to is that these calves that experience a difficult birth can, can experience um, oxygen deprivation. So what can happen if it's prolonged or, or difficult and they're, they're struggling to be born is that they're going to use up a lot of oxygen in their system, as well as that umbilicus can get pinched off. And that's their oxygen supply while they're in the uterus of the cow. And so if that gets pinched, then these calves don't have an oxygen supply until they're born. And so this can lead to issues where these calves can be quite weak. They don't wanna stand. Um, they can be what's called acidotic, which can cause a, a lot of bigger issues where these calves are less vigorous, as well as these really big calves that might experience a difficult calving can experience some trauma as well. Um, and that can be anything from soft tissue trauma that we don't see like bruises under the skin to broken bones or, or even broken backs I've seen in some calves that, that experienced a very difficult birth. And so that, that can be quite challenging to either lead to these calves that are weak and painful and less vigorous, but also potentially death of those calves. And what happens with these weak calves is that um, they're, they're, because they're weak, they're less likely to stand and nurse from their dam, which means they're less likely to consume that colostrum in a timely fashion which then puts them at a higher risk of disease or being treated for disease in that pre-weaning period, as well as we know those calves that don't get enough colostrum actually weigh less at weaning time than those calves that did get enough colostrum early on in life. So it's, it's an important part of after being born of, of to stand and to nurse from the dam and get, good, get good, enough good quality colostrum into them. And then there's the issues from the cow side too. So we we don't always think about the cow, but she can experience quite a bit of trauma to her birth canal as well, especially if she's delivering a large calf or if we're having to put a lot of pressure on that calf to deliver it. And we also know that cows that have their calf assisted, they have a higher risk of a retained placenta. And when that placenta stays in the uterus for long periods of time and is open, they're more likely to get a uterine infection, which then can affect future fertility of that cow. So it really is a complicated system where it can affect both the calf short-term and long-term, as well as the cow.
0: Right, and those have pretty significant economic consequences both ways. If we affect fertility in the next breeding cycle and we affect calf survival in this breeding cycle, that can be a double whammy there. Exactly. I think I read an old paper years ago that they quoted uh, a little over two-thirds of pre-weaning mortality in calves occurs in the first 96 hours of birth. And then two-thirds of those losses can be attributable directly to to calving difficulty. So, you know, a huge component of our calf losses can be linked to to calving difficulty. And then, as you said, many of the causes of disease later on are because they had calving difficulty and didn't get adequate colostrum. So yep, it's a exactly. huge, huge issue. Uh, even though we've done a great job of reducing the prevalence of assisted calvings over the years by, by breeding and selecting good bulls, et cetera. How do we decide when we should intervene then? So you talked a little bit about this, the, the time issues. Uh, when do we, when do we decide to intervene and when do we decide to call for help?
1: Yeah, no great, great questions. Cause that's the, that's the next step we have to make. And so there, there's sort of two different, things to think about. One is the progression of that birth. And so, as I mentioned, that cow should be making progression every 30 to 60 minutes of continually pushing that that calf out and delivering it. And if she isn't making progression, then I say that she should come into the barn or into the chute and get inspected to make sure that that calf is in a normal position to be delivered normally. So if it's coming forwards, it should have a head and two front legs coming. If it's coming backwards, it should have two hind feet and the hip and its tails engaged into the birth canal. Now, you'll see a lot of producers, as I mentioned in the beginning, if they see a calf coming backwards, um, so depending on on how the toes are pointed, the, if those toes are, are pointed down and that calf appears to be coming backwards, they'll want to go ahead and intervene early. And that's because that calf's umbilicus will get pinched on the birth canal and they will be cut off from oxygen quite a bit sooner with their head still in the uterus of the cow while they're trying to be pushed out. Whereas if a calf is coming forwards, if that umbilicus gets pinched off, the head is usually outside of the cow and that calf can start to breathe normal air. And so a lot of people, if they see that calf coming backwards, they'll go ahead, bring that cow into the chute and deliver that calf to make sure that it is, they're progressing at a, fast enough rate so that that calf doesn't get cut off from, from oxygen. Other reasons to assist, obviously, if you don't have, we call it the rule of three, right? So if you only see a head and one leg and that other leg is missing, or if you see two legs and no head, right, we're going to want to assist um, and, and reposition that calf so that we can have all three of those body parts coming out at the right time um, because they need all three of those in order to fit through, through the birth canal normally.
0: So when do we need to decide if we need to call for assistance, uh, another person to help us or a veterinarian perhaps, uh, and how hard can we safely pull and not harm the calf or the cow?
1: Yeah, so a lot of that depends on the producer's experience. And so usually I say if, if you are going in and feeling and and having to, the calf doesn't have that rule of three, right? So it doesn't have two, two legs and and a head or two hind legs and, and a tail coming. And you have to maybe reposition that calf, pull that head around. If you're not able to do that within probably 20 or 30 minutes, you should be calling, calling for help. Or if you're getting tired doing it as well, right? Because we know the longer that you're in there trying to mess around and reposition that calf, the more trauma you're creating, but also it's the more stress on the cow and the calf, and the higher the likelihood that that calf is gonna be delivered dead because of that prolonged period. And so usually I I tell producers, you know, if you've tried for 20 minutes and can't get it fixed, then you need to be calling the veterinarian. The other reason to call the vet too is if it potentially needs to come out the side door or via C-section, right? And so if you cannot, if the calf is coming forward, and you're not able to get both front shoulders and the head within the birth canal, it'll probably be tight. But if those cannot be engaged up into the pelvis of the cow, or if the calf is coming backwards and you can't get both hips and the tail in that birth canal, that calf is probably too big to come out vaginally, and you need to call right away for a C-section. I know a lot of people are are hesitant to call to have a C-section performed, but If we decide earlier on to perform a C-section rather than waiting and then we're in there messing around and causing trauma and stress to both the cow and the calf, we're more likely to have a better outcome for both the cow and the calf if we call and get that C-section done early. Because the problems that can happen, as I mentioned, right, that calf can get cut off of oxygen and they can die, as well as the cow's uterus can become quite friable. And when we try and do surgery on that cow, she has a higher likelihood of not having a good closure, which can lead to infection. So earlier is better to call for help rather than waiting. As far as how much, uh, how hard can we safely pull? Um, the big things there is, is I say either you know one or two people pulling, and again you should be making progress, or if you've been trained to appropriately use a calf jack, that's another good method. We should never ever hook anything up stronger to that that calf to try and deliver that calf. So no tractors, no quads, no nothing, nothing with an engine. Okay that can lead to abnormally high forces on that calf and you can cause major fractures and death in that calf as well as the cow. She can actually fracture her pelvis and she will go down and she'll never be able to stand back up again. And so if you are unable to deliver that calf by pulling with one or two people or with appropriately using the calf jack, again, that calf probably needs to come out via C-section and you should call your veterinarian for help.
0: Right. And we should add maybe that if you've never used a calf jack before, and many producers have, but if you haven't, you probably should get your veterinarian to give you some lessons on how to, how to safely use that as well. I think uh, uh, they're a useful instrument, but they can, be, they can cause damage if you don't use them correctly.
1: Exactly. Even even with all of our calving equipment. So calving chains, calf jacks, all of it. If, if you're not comfortable with using it appropriately, call your veterinarian out before calving season and have them just go over the appropriate use and placement of those tools so that we minimize the risk of trauma and some of these other more catastrophic injuries like fractures to the cow and the calf.
0: Lots of veterinary clinics are having calving uh, seminars as well where they use our... Uh our model cows that we have at the vet colleges and things like that to demonstrate those sort of issues as well. So those are another great resource if you're looking for someplace to do that. And I think the BCRC website has a bunch of resources on this as well.
1: Yep. And they just published a new one on um, when, when to intervene actually with calving. So great resources and videos there as well.
0: Good. I'll put the link to that in the show notes. So we've got through our dystocia and uh, hopefully got a live calf on the ground because we've done everything the way you've ta- told us to. And, and I think that 20 to 30 minute rule is a great one. I, I think even as a veterinarian, I kind of use that. If I don't make progress trying to fix the malpresentation in 20 or 30 minutes, then I got to go to an alternate plan and maybe consider a C-section or something else as well. So that's great advice. What can we do now, though, that we've got our calf on the ground to make sure – all these other things go as well as possible because we know there's additional risks to both the calf and the cow. What can we do now?
1: Yeah. So we want to look at both the calf and, and, and the cow. Exactly. So for the calf, we immediately want to put it in what we call the recovery position. So this calf is going to be lying sort of sitting upright on its chest with both hind legs pulled forward. So those hind toes are actually up by that calf's ear and we want them to sit upright like that so that they can expand both sides of their chest and we can start to stimulate that calf. We can rub it all over. We can take a piece of straw and poke it up in the nose or squirt a little bit of cold water in its ear. All these things cause that calf to have a reflex to start to breathe and to take that big deep breath in. One thing we don't want to do with that calf though is hang it over a fence. We used to be taught that that was the the way to do it because when we would hang or swing these calves, we would see fluid come out of their nose and mouth. And we thought, oh, that must be fluid that's down in their lungs and now we're getting it out. Now we actually know that fluid is actually coming out of their stomach. And when we hang them upside down, we're actually inhibiting them from being able to breathe because all of their abdominal contents are now pushing up against their lungs and they can't expand those lungs appropriately to take those big deep breaths that they need to take right after calving. So instead of hanging them upside down or swinging them, sit them upright in that calf recovery position. There's again, a great video on the BCRC website that demonstrates these these methods to resuscitate these calves. The other thing I always tell producers and my students is we can't forget about the cow. So after after we deliver the calf and the calf is breathing and seems to be doing okay, we always want to go back in that cow and I say check for spares and tears. So you want to make sure there's not a twin hiding in there. I've delivered twins that were both a hundred pounds and you think, oh, it's a hundred pound calf. It can't possibly have a twin. Well, they will, they will surprise you. So you want to check for that twin and we want to make sure that there's not tears in her birth canal, right? Things that are going to cause her extra irritation and, and pain that she might experience afterwards.
0: How about managing pain? Is, is there anything we can do from that aspect for, for the cow or the calf?
1: Yes. So there's there's um, not as much research in the beef side as there is on the dairy side. But we're starting to do more here at at the University of Calgary, as well as um, with with our colleagues, with you, John, at at the University of Saskatchewan as well. But we have there are some studies to show that giving a pain mitigation product like meloxicam can improve the welfare of both the cow and the calf. We've seen it from um, a nursing aspect and and weight gain aspect, as well as a lot of behavioral um, changes as well. So we see that these calves tend to be more vigorous and get up and go a little bit faster as well, which again is great if we can improve their vigor because then they're more likely to get up, nurse from the cow and consume that colostrum in a timely fashion.
0: Can you briefly summarize some of the things that we can do to make sure we don't have a lot of dystocia problems in our herd?
1: Yeah. So there's, I, as I mentioned earlier, I think the beef industry has done a very good job over the past 30 to 50 years of improving our genetic selection, right? So good bull selection, selecting our bulls for the type of females they're going to breed, right? So selecting bulls with greater ease, maybe lower birth weights for our heifers, and then also thinking about our cow herd as well and what are their frame size look like. And, and selecting a bull, an appropriate bull to breed those, those cows specifically. So bull genetics is a big thing. Um, from the cow standpoint, nutrition is huge. So we don't want our cows and heifers getting overly fat. But we also don't want them to be skinny as well. So those cows that are overconditioned, it t- they tend to lay down a lot of fat around that birth canal. And it actually makes it smaller. So they're probably more likely to have a dystocia than those that were normally conditioned. And then also from, from those that are skinnier and under right, those tend to have issues with um, having enough energy and reserves to push that calf out normally without without needing assistance. So we want a nice um, middle-of-the-road, even body condition score amongst our heifers and our cows at the time of calving.
0: How about uh, early intervention? How important is that as, as a... It's not really prevention, but it's a, certainly an important aspect of, of dealing with them when they do happen.
1: Yeah. So early intervention is, is a big part of that too. So as I mentioned earlier, if we're seeing that cow not making good progression, you're going to do a whole lot less harm as long as, as you go in and inspect her and her, her birth canal is fully dilated, it's not going to cause harm to that cow or calf to deliver it earlier. Whereas if you decide to wait longer, then as I mentioned before, you're going to run into issues where that calf is more likely to experience trauma or be oxygen deprived. And then you're more likely to deliver a dead calf and possibly cause trauma and fertility issues to that cow, rather than if you would have just intervened earlier, delivered the calf and, and hopefully led to less complications.
0: Great, Jennifer. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I really appreciate your- practical advice and i'm sure i'm going to have you on again in the future for an for another episode if i can talk you into it so thanks again
1: thanks for having me
0: that's our show for this week thanks to all of you for listening to the podcast and thanks again to my guest dr jennifer pearson from the university of calgary school of veterinary medicine thank you as well to our sponsors the alberta beef producers and the beef cattle research council Please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have questions or comments or would like to suggest topics that you'd like to see covered in future episodes, please email us at bchnpodcast.gmail.com. Take care until next time.